Welcome to MedTech Talk, a weekly sit-down with the innovators, investors, and executives leading the MedTech sector. Now, here's your host, Tom Salemi. Hi, everyone. Welcome to MedTech Talk. My name is Tom Salemi, and I'll be your host. MedTech Talk will be a weekly conversation with MedTech's leaders and luminaries. Holy moly. Hey, everyone. This is Tom Salemi, the real... Tom Salemi, not Robo Tom Salemi, the guy who hosted this episode of the MedTech Talk. That was our very first episode, episode number one. It aired, or whatever podcasts do, on March 18th, 2015, so it was three years ago. And uh, yeah, so I was a little stiffer back then, but here we are today, and uh, very, very proud of uh, this being episode 100. It has been a uh, a great ride. It continues to be a great ride and will be a great ride. I'm not going anywhere. Uh, it was, uh, it's been quite a departure from, from writing and, uh, in doing interviews with folks in the privacy of my uh, office and kind of airing these conversations for you. This is, uh, basically what my job is like as a, as a writer, you have these great conversations with folks. You take maybe 10% of what's said and you put it in your article, but the podcast has allowed me to share 100% of what, uh, what we're talking about. So, it's been a great experience, and uh, I'm grateful to all 100, get, 100 guests and, of course, the thousands of listeners out there who are, who are making this uh, such a great experience. So, so for our 100th guest, we went back to episode number one and connected with our good friend, Lisa Earnhardt. She, of course, is the president and CEO of Intersect ENT. Lisa was kind enough to be guest number one, and uh, again, equally kind to appear as guest number 100. So uh, we talked with Lisa today, back in, in 2015, we talked a bit about uh, her joining Intersect and, and what it means, and we got into that a little bit today, talked about her transition from Boston Scientific to a startup, uh, what that change was like, how she had adapted from a big strategic life to running a startup and how she's worked to maintain the right kind of culture for Intersect ENT. It's now a major player in ENT. It's, it's of course, publicly traded. It's just uh, released its fourth product, Sanuva, and uh, it's moving into to new and exciting areas for the company. So it also has uh, started an interesting BD program, which Lisa will talk about toward the end of this podcast. So very grateful to have Lisa back. Equally grateful to have her at the MedTech conference on May 31st in Minneapolis. She'll be on our uh, MedTech CEO panel to talk about the challenges of running uh, these leading MedTechs in today's market. So uh, really, really terrific to have her there on May 31st in Minneapolis. And uh, it's great to have her back on the podcast. Before we get into this conversation, I do want to remind you that you can still register for the MedTech conference, of course. It is, as I said, happening on May 31st. Go to medtechconference.com. Uh, we have a rate of $12.95 that will be expiring in a couple of weeks, so uh, it's a good time to, uh, to register. And you can also use the code Earnhardt. That's Lisa's last name. She's on our advisory board for the MedTech Conference, and you'll save yourself $200. All right, now let's get into this, our 100th episode of MedTech Talk with Lisa Earnhardt of Intersect. E-N-T. Lisa Earnhardt, welcome back to the MedTech Talk podcast. 
Thanks for having me, Tom. It's great to have you as, uh, it was wonderful to have you as our first guest way back in 2015, and now as our 100th guest. So it's, uh, we've come a long way, and uh, so has Intersect ENT, and I want to hit upon that. But I also wanted to congratulate you on uh, your 10th year as CEO at Intersect. That's a, that's a wonderful accomplishment. Uh, yes, thank you very much. I can't imagine time flies when you're having fun. Now, how did you find your way uh, to Intersect? Because you were in, in cardio before, right, at Boston Scientific? Uh, yeah, I was running the cardiac surgery uh, division for Boston. We had been a legacy guidance business, and um, we were all about less invasive approaches to cardiac bypass. And um, we had actually sold uh, the cardiac surgery business uh, to a company called Getting a Group. So mm-hmm. it was like a perfect transition time for me to um, re- rethink what I wanted to do moving forward. And I really, you know, uniquely live here in the San Francisco Bay Area where there's just a ton of startups going on. This is sort of late 2007, early 2008, really vibrant startup community. And I sort of wanted to make the move into that world. And it was just, it was a great opportunity because I was able to leverage a bunch of the you know, similar kinds of things we did in terms in cardiovascular, both from a technology standpoint as well as from, um, as well as sort of thinking about the overall market opportunity being so different, right? So cardiovascular is a market where, you know, it had been well established, lots of players, you know, tons of attention, and ENT for me was a really unique opportunity to create a whole new market. Sure. Uh, so I really viewed it as underserved. So it was great to be able to bring some of that know-how from the cardiovascular world an approach to less invasive surgery into the ENT field. And so the rest is history. Did you have an opportunity to stay at, uh, at the new unit? Was, did, did, did this require a sort of leap of faith to, to move into the startup world? Yeah, you know, they had asked me to stay on to run uh, the cardiac surgery business under Gettinga. We also had the vascular surgery business, and they had a vision to roll up a couple of different companies, and that's exactly what they've done as mm-hmm. part of McKay Cardiovascular. It was just a different type of opportunity for me, and, you know, I live in Silicon Valley. I'm right there where the action happens. I actually live on Sand Hill Road, which is, as <laughs> you know, where most of the VCs are. Uh-huh. And so I was like, if I'm ever going to do it, it was just, it was such an, it was such an easy and inflection point to make that decision and so much of innovation in med tech happens in the startup world that I figured if I didn't do it then it would be harder and harder as I continued to um, quote unquote climb the corporate ladder to make that move um, so that was the that was the great opportunity for me which was just like all right this is a break I can do it now uh, dive in intersect at the time was super early um, had a, a phenomenal core team but there was just a lot of work yet to be done. And so I really saw that as a great opportunity for my development, as well as to be able to make an impact in a sort of a new specialty area. How has that, uh, that Sand Hill Road area changed over the last 10 years, at least for, for med tech VCs? You know, you probably could have done your road show on a scooter 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, I don't know <laughs> exactly. if the med tech VCs it's very are... different. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, the, the world has changed so much. I think about what med tech has gone through the last 10 years, and it's really been a remarkable time from, you know, starting first when I started, you know, 2008, 9, 2010, you know, not only did you have the sort of broader market dynamics in terms of the, you know, the market fall, et cetera, you also had a time of incredible FDA uncertainty. Um, and there was a ton of pullback on from the from the existing med tech investors, and that has just played out in spades as you fast forward a, a decade and you think about the the very few 
at least traditional VC investors that are continuing to um, make a difference in the medtech world. It's just a very different cast of characters, a much smaller mm -hmm. group of individuals and firms who are willing, willing to make the bet. Not that there isn't money out there. It's just a different kind of uh, kind of money. So yeah, th I think the VCs have definitely sort of gone generally as a class gone a different way away from medtech, which is unfortunate for us and the innovation ecosystem. Absolutely. Do you think you would have uh, gone the startup route if you didn't live in that area? Was it was it part of your career path uh, getting out of business school? Did you want to do that eventually? You know, I had you know, I didn't I actually didn't know I wanted to do it. Um, it wasn't until I got into the field that I really appreciated the role that startups have in in developing innovation. I mean, it's just it's hard to do within a big corporate environment. And having lived in that world, both at Guidance and then Boston Scientific, I recognize like you know the challenges of really taking those risks early on, whether it be clinical or technical or market, very challenging to do. And so. I found just over time I had more and more interest in it only mm -hmm. because you know so much of innovation comes from that source. I really wanted to get you know get to the crux of it and really understand how new technology um, can become a reality and you just don't you know obviously it's the, it's the difference between sort of evolutionary versus revolutionary and you know sort of the incremental approach which big companies are phenomenal at the phenomenal commercialization and really you know global scale and reach um, but that's you know typically innovation while it's at the heart of their products it isn't sort of the heart of their culture and mm -hmm. I think there is a difference there and what was the transition like going from a larger company being a, a senior executive at a larger company in charge of many things to going into the startup route? I mean, how many people were, were working at uh, Intersect or, or was it Synexus when you joined? How many people were working there when you came on board? Yeah, there were 12 of us. So it was a small, a small group. Um, and, you know, what I loved about it is, you know, everyone knew what everyone was working on at any given moment. We were all focused clearly on one um, one goal, and it was just—it was very different. I found it really refreshing, quite mm -hmm. honestly, just as you know, it was—I was really focused on um, the the product and the project and and being successful. And you know, there was less of sort of all the other stuff, what it takes to be successful in corporate America. But it's so I really it was a fantastic transition for me. I've really enjoyed being in this on this side of the innovation cycle. Is it difficult though to work on a project that won't see? a doctor's office or be in the hands of a doctor for a number of years to keep your sort of eye on the ball and, and to, to keep a company moving forward for those, those long games. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the important thing is having that long-term vision, mm -hmm. but then still being able to break up the work so that you can celebrate wins along the way, mm -hmm. because you're right. If you're, um, if you're thinking about that first sale and you're sort of, you know, not even through your first clinical trial, like it's, it's really hard to keep that sort of the fire in the belly. But I think it's sort of having the, the long-term vision, which for us is, you know, making localized drug delivery the standard of care uh, for chronic sinus sufferers. But then along the way, really, um, you know, managing the project so that each step of the way you're able to, um, you know, reflect you know, celebrate and then and then move on to a new set of challenges. And that's where I think, in particular, in the startup world, it's it's so much about, you know, focusing on one or two things, doing them very well, and then earning the right to take that next step. Um, and I think that's something we've, we, you know, as a, as a team have done very well over the years, but it takes, a, you know, a very crystal clear vision and a lot of focus to make things happen. 
And it's certainly not unheard of, but it's also not typical to have a CEO who was there when there were only, did you say six people or 12 people working there? 12 people. 12 yeah, people. it is. It is. It's crazy. I would never have thought, you know, that when I started and I'd be here 10 years later. So it's just, you know, things don't always happen as planned. I would say, you know, we've been an incredible success along the way. We've had very different chapters of our history. Um, but yeah, it's rare to have, especially in our field, this kind of tenure in organization and transition from, um, you know, very early stage going into first in humans to where we are now, which is a commercial organization, you know, with multiple products and on the brink of being profitable. It's a, you know, it's just a, it's a very different company today, obviously, than what I joined. And to what did you do you attribute your ability to evolve and grow with the company and, and, and remain the leader that clearly everyone wants to have in place? You know, I think, you know, my background, even though I'm an engineer by training, my background is much more on the commercial side of things. So I feel like the last couple of years is really where I'm getting even to my sweet spot in terms of being able to contribute to the business. Um, a lot of it is really getting the right people on the bus, right, identifying the right talent and um, and making changes as needed over the years to make sure you've got the right team focused on the right problems. And I think that's something that, you know, I've learned over the years, the importance of the um, the team and both individually and then how we work together as a team. And I think that's been such a huge part of not just my success, but the company's success is really, um, you know, the team that we have had working here um, and how we've continued to build upon that over the years. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if, if this stage of the company was more uh, fitting and more familiar to you uh, than in the early stage side of things. Do you, do you though, I mean, you'll hopefully will be with Intersect for a, a long time and it'll remain, become a huge, huge player in MedTech. But do you ever long for the days of, of being one of 12 people again? Or do you kind of see your career taking a, you're a commercial stage CEO kind of CEO and you're going to stay on that track? Um, yes, you're right in the fact that this is a pretty uh, uh, comfortable place for me to be in terms of my leadership and management style. I've, you know, when I was at um, Guidant and was part of the cardiac surgery business, we sort of took the company from I don't know 70 million in revenue to north of 200 million, so which is a pretty similar stage into where we are right now as Intersect. Um, but I love what I do. I mean, it's super energizing. I have a lot of passion for the business. We're, you know, well on our way to make uh, localized drug delivery the standard of care. Um, so, you know, I think at some point I probably will go back into the startup world. I just, I have that bug and I have that DNA in me. It's fun to, you know, roll up your sleeves and, um, and really be super engaged in every decision of the company. But I also enjoy what I do today. I'm fortunate to be blessed with, you know, just a fantastic opportunity, a great team, and a board that's been super supportive every step of the way. Absolutely. It's a, it's a great story. How have you worked to maintain and to uh, change the, the culture at Intersect through the years as it, as it went from that smaller company to, you know, a company with clinical stage products to now a, a commercial product, uh, company with, its, I think, your fourth product coming out? What kind of work goes into making sure the culture is the right culture at the time for the company? And how is that done? Yeah, you know, I think we've been pretty deliberate in terms of setting the culture. I mean, it even goes down to, to begin with, you know, probably for the first 100 people or so, I interviewed everyone at the organization mm -hmm. just because every single person who came on board would be a contributor to our culture. Um, obviously, earlier on, more so. But I just felt like that was so important to get folks who really could embody sort of our collective values. 
Um, even recently, though, we're you know probably north of about 350 people today wow. who come to work on behalf of Intersect ENT. And we just last year actually spent some time sort of revisiting and refreshing our vision and our values just to make sure we were um, true, not to who we are, but also who we aspire to be, right? Mm-hmm. And so we really, I feel like culture is something that, it's like the glue that holds everyone together and, you know, sort of provides that sort of direction and sort of common ground. And so we actually spent some time just sort of revisiting and saying, hey, what do we really stand for? And I think that kind of work and sort of bringing it into what we do every day, um, you know, we talk about as a leadership team in terms of are we living our values, we recognize employees based on our values. Um, it's something that's sort of living and breathing in the organization. I think that's important, just especially as you grow so quickly, you know, things change and you can lose touch in terms of what's gotten us here. Um, and that's not always what's going to take us that next level, too, right? Mm-hmm. And so we've really been very thoughtful about, you know, what got us to, you know, you know, our clinical stage was different than what us got to the commercial stage, which was different than what got us to be in a public successful company and now launching our fourth product, which is our first pharmaceutical um, implant. It's just a, you know, every single time it's been a a new set of challenges and opportunities. And we really try to make sure we're, you know, starting first with sort of the vision and the values and, and sort of making sure that culture is exactly where we want it to be. We are by no means perfect, but I think it's something as a leadership team, we really take to heart and recognize the importance of that in terms of our success long term. Hey, everyone, Tom here. We'll take a quick break from this 100th episode of MedTech Talk to let you know that the agenda for the MedTech Conference is full and it is fantastic. We've got uh, many, many great leaders in MedTech. We have Lisa Earnhardt, Fred Mall. We've got newcomers like Robin Thurston of Helix. We've uh, got Nancy Schlichting, formerly of the uh, Henry Ford Health System, to talk about the provider point of view and uh, many, many other great leaders in, in MedTech and healthcare. We really try to create an event that is um, addressing all the different forces that are impacting MedTech today and making it more challenging, but creating new opportunities as well. So we hope you will join us on May 31st in Minneapolis. Go to medtechconference.com to register. Now let's get back into this conversation in our 100th podcast with Lisa Earnhardt of Intersect ENT. As you did 10 years ago, you said you set a, a long-term vision for what you wanted the company to be. Do you have that today? You, do you have a sense of what you'd like to see Intersect ENT be in five years, in 10 years? Yeah, I think we're uniquely positioned um, in this field to really transform the care in ENT with sort of innovative, clinically meaningful therapies for both physicians and patients. Um, There are very few standalone ENT companies. Uh, We're one of just a a handful. And I I just feel like we are so uniquely positioned, especially given our existing products and where we intend to head in the future to really be the leader in this space and really to make local drug delivery the standard of care for chronic sinusitis sufferers. Fantastic. Well, let's let's talk about... uh... Particulars. Let's talk a bit about your new product. Is it uh, Sunuva? Is that how you're pronouncing it? Yes, indeed. All right, I got it right. So, how does this differ from uh, the the Propel line, and uh, how does it change? How is it different, both in technology, but also in uh, in points of sales, and in in how it will be used in the, by the physicians? Yeah, there's a lot of similarities between Propel, which is our which you know represents three products um, in our surgical family of products. 
Um, that's all about improving surgical outcomes. So Prevail is used with an existing procedure typically done in the operating room where after they complete sinus surgery, they'll place Propel to optimize the surgical outcomes. Um, the difference with Sinuva is this is a standalone treatment option. So in this case, um, it's a patient who has recurrent polyp disease. And instead of taking them back to the operating room, undergoing general anesthesia, they can instead um, have Sinuva placed in the physician's office. Um, so it's a real alternative to surgery. It's an alternative to high-dose oral steroids, which can't be taken chronically. Um, and those rely, obviously, heavily on patient compliance. So in this case, the patient can be treated in the office under local anesthesia and go on their merry way. So the technology is very similar in that all of our products are steroid-releasing implants. Um, the difference with Sinuva is it's significantly stronger because it actually is creating sort of patency or the opening in the sinus cavity, and then it delivers the same drug, imedazone furate, which is an active anti-inflammatory, but it delivers it over a 90-day period of time, so sustained fashion relative to our Propel product, which delivers the steroid over about a 30-day period of time. So there are some nuances and differences in technology, um, you know, super similarity in terms of the patient population, but Sinuva specifically for patients who've had surgery before that have recurrent disease because of polyps, and we're able to treat patients in the office setting. So it's truly a win for the patient, it's a win for the physician, and it's ultimately a win for the healthcare system because now you're treating patients in um, a much more cost-effective fashion. And so we're obviously very excited. We just announced on Monday uh, the uh, commencement of our targeted launch of this product. So we're off to the races. And where where are you uh, launching this? Uh, we're launching it in the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, with a select group of physicians. And much like how we built the Propel business, our goal is to make sure we focus on phenomenal patient outcomes and experience. And um, the difference with this product, it's still working with um, the ear, nose, and throat physician or the otolaryngologist. So it's literally the exact same customers we call on today. Um, the difference is the site of care. So instead of the hospital or the surgery center, we're working with physician offices. And there also are some differences because it is regulated as a pharmaceutical product. There are some differences in terms of how physicians and patients access the product. So mm -hmm. we're spending a fair amount of time up front in educating uh, physicians and their practices around a physician-administered drug and how to access that um, and then, of course, focused on great clinical outcomes, which has been the foundation of how we've built our business so far with Intercept. So this is a product that is, is available to patients who have already undergone their surgery. It's not something that if they, it's not something that could be done prior to surgery or perhaps instead of surgery in certain mild cases. This is, this is a post-surgical. Yeah, correct. I mean, we, yeah, absolutely. So, the, you know, what we really were focused on is on those patients who are, probably the most challenging for the otolaryngologist mm -hmm. to manage. Those are the patients with um, chronic polyp disease. And we estimate there's about 635,000 patients every year that present um, uh, with this profile to the e ENT. And, and they're really challenging for the physicians to manage. They actually are also 
um, the most expensive um, patients for the healthcare system to treat um, within all of chronic sinusitis. These are the, um, you know, the, the, the resource consumers, sometimes physicians will call them the frequent flyers um, because they're always um, needing to be managed so very, very closely. And their care costs a lot, right? And so we were really focused on, hey, where can we make the biggest impact from mm-hmm. a health economic standpoint, as well as sort of real burning clinical need. And that's why we focused um, this technology specifically at that patient population. Is there an opportunity to move further up the line and to create something that uh, patients might be um, called on to act, to go to their physician's office and ask for this thing to help uh, clear up my sinuses or uh, help me breathe better at night, uh, whatever might be, uh, might be bothering them. Is there, are you moving in a direction where you think you'll be touching consumers and patients more directly? Yeah, that we do think, um, you know, our vision is really having um, products and uh, options for physicians across the continuum of care mm-hmm. um, with sinus disease. So we're starting obviously first with patients who are already undergoing sinus surgery, um, and that was with our Propel products. And then with Sinuva, we are really focused on those frequent flyers, those repeat um, problem children that we were trying to figure out how can we best address their needs in a less invasive, more cost-effective fashion. And then we do see longer term, um, you know, treating patients as well in the office, potentially with similar type technology, potentially obviating the need for a surgical intervention altogether. I mean, at the end of the day, for patients with more extensive chronic sinus disease, they'll need to have some sort of sinus surgery to sort of re-baseline their sinuses and open up the passageways. But to the extent that we can do that in a less invasive, more cost-effective fashion, it's a you know, that would be a winning solution. So absolutely. And you're seeing some of that already happening in this space, mm-hmm. um, in particular with um, uh, a few companies that have um, balloon technology where they're using balloons in the office setting um, to open up the sinuses. And that's, you know, been an, an interesting approach and, and something that's, you know, starting to get some traction. It's still a fraction of patients are treated that way. So it's it's great, though, to have other companies. I mean, you know some of the players, right? Medtronic, sure. Johnson & Johnson, uh, Stryker now are all in that space trying to develop that market. Um, and we, we clearly anticipate to play in that market as well in the future in some way, shape, or form. And how is the Propel line uh, matured? You have the three different, uh, the three different products. Uh, any, any changes or, or things we should know about that? Yeah, Propel continues to go very well. Um, as you know, this is all about improving outcomes of sinus surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, we launched a new product last spring um, called the Contour product, which is, um, uh, a, has an hourglass shape and is designed specifically for use in some of the dependent sinuses. Um, in particular, the frontal sinus, which is next to the eye and the brain, so two um, structures which offer great function and utility to, to mankind. Um, and so it's a challenging sinus to treat, and Contra has been a great addition and really has enabled us to offer Propel um, to treat nearly all patients undergoing sinus surgery. So as I think about this year, um, it's really a shift for physicians thinking about whether or not to use Propel in a given case, um, to instead thinking which Propel should be used. So um, we're still early in on the adoption. Um, I would say we estimate about one in eight sinus surgeries have um, Propel use in some capacity, um, which is clearly a meaningful step up from where we were at the end of 16, which is one in 10. Um, But we still have um, work to do to make that the standard of care for patients undergoing sinus surgery. 
And looking forward, how uh, frequently do you think you'll be releasing new products you know, similar to Sinuva, that level of release? Uh, do you, are you on a pace for one a year, one every couple of years? What is, what is a comfortable pace or intersect? Yeah, you know, Sinuva was a significant investment for us, given mm-hmm. that it, you know, we, re- we conducted four clinical trials. The last two were um, prospective, randomized, blinded, uh, sham-controlled trials. So uh, the work that went into that was clearly groundbreaking and, um, and certainly, you know, something we're quite proud of, but not something we'll do every year. <laughs> but we do have a pipeline of products. We have not talked publicly about that. I mean, you know, we have so much going on with the Contour launch last year, which is still, um, you know, very quickly has become 25% of our revenue. And so we're, you know, continuing to focus on the Propel business and growing that while at the same time launching Sinuva, which is a significant, we actually believe it's a bigger opportunity than Propel. Wow. Uh, so we're quite busy. And uh, as we talk externally, we're not talking much about our pipeline, but we do have some things in the works. And, you know, our goal is every, you know, every you know, couple years at least to, to bring some meaningful technology platform forward. So we're fortunate to have a, a bit of an innovation machine here, both in terms of research and development, but also have a lot of capability of running clinical studies, which has really been a hallmark for Intersect, uh, where we've really set a new standard for um, clinical research in the field, uh, running you know multiple randomized prospective blinded uh, trials. So we're um, you know, making sure we put our money where our mouth is in terms of demonstrating the value both clinically as well as economically of our technology. And do you have anyone looking externally for R&D for early stage opportunities that you might buy and bring in-house? Um, yes. I mean, we continue to monitor um, our the opportunities externally. Um, there are, you know, fortunately, I think because of our success and other companies in our space that have done so exceptionally well and are bringing meaningful technologies to market, there has been some innovation in the space and some interesting technologies out there. So it's something that we're actively monitoring. And in fact, I just tapped Susan Stimson, who's been a long time um, executive at Intersect and one of the members of the co-founding team um, to lead our business development efforts because we truly do believe there are some interesting um, things out there that you know could very well you know be added to our bag and we we believe you know that we are you know one of the you know significant players in ENT that mm-hmm. are making a big difference and actually have one of the largest and I would say arguably the best sales organization and commercial infrastructure so. Uh, we're sort of open-minded. Obviously, our, all of our innovations today has been organic, and we've got you know plans to continue organic development as well. Do those B&D efforts involve any sort of investment programs that you'll be investing in startups, or is it more just looking for companies that could be or technologies could be acquired and brought in house? Uh, you know, we don't. You know, we're really focused on what our core capabilities are, which mm-hmm. is you know bring new technologies to market and and the commercial efforts. So I don't don't think we'll be investing anytime soon. Excellent. Well, unfortunately, a- there are plenty of other large strategic, <laughs> not just in our field, because if we, if we were relying just on the VC community, we'd be in a world of hurt. No, that's that's very true. And uh, and it's it's a great story to, to hear again. And I appreciate your being our first guest and now our, our 100th guest. And, uh, and I'll have you on at number 200. And you can tell us all the right. wonderful things. I would be things. honored. <laughs> I think this has been a great program. I appreciate you uh, sort of picking the brain and highlighting, you know, all the, all the great stuff our field does. We're so fortunate to be in this field. And you're fortunate to have someone like you who's invested so much in it over the years. Well, that's kind. I appreciate that. And I appreciate your joining us uh, at the MedTech Conference on May 31st in Minneapolis.
looking forward to it. Hopefully it won't be the great white north by the end of May. <laughs> no more snow, no. Thanks so much, no Lisa. No more snow. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Tom. Bye-bye. And that's a wrap. Thanks, of course, to our guest, Lisa Ehrenhart, for returning to the MedTech Talk podcast. Thank you, MedTech Talk podcast listeners, for joining us. It's been uh, quite an experience. I look forward to bringing you many more great tales of innovation. And uh, it's wonderful that uh, so many folks are listening in. Please do subscribe. Please do tell your friends. Please do give us a ranking on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on. All of that helps us. Reach out to me on Twitter at MedTechTom. Let me know how I'm doing. You can email me, Tom at Healthogy.com. It's the word health, followed by the letters E-G-Y.com. Healthogy produces this podcast and many great other podcasts. And, of course, the MedTech Conference. We hope to see you at the MedTech Conference on May 31st. Go to MedTechConference.com to register, and we'll see you in Minneapolis.